If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to the Eurogamer podcast, a new series where I talk to fascinating people from around the world of games every two weeks. Um, also starring my new puppy. I don't want to say his name in case he wakes up uh, and starts jumping around. So um, I'll keep that quiet. Apologies for any uh, noise he makes. And remember, uh, Eurogamer subscribers get this series first. So for my first guest, someone who actually goes back all the way to Eurogamer's past, uh, where Eurogamer began the scene that it grew out of, um, a proper legend in his own time, uh, a time of... This was a time of land parties, uh, of Quake, which we'll come on to, and the Spice Girls. <laughs> I was waiting to see what your reaction would be. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm kind of taken aback by the introduction. I mean, carry on. I'm loving it. Like, is there any I've, more? <laughs> no, I, I wondered if I would drop it in there, and I thought, let's let's go for it. Um, it is Sue Joy Roy, the, the UK's first professional gamer. Hello, Sue Joy. Hi there. Yeah, thank you for that intro. It's, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's been such a long time that every, you know, when, when I hear an introduction like that, I'm always taken aback a bit because I've almost forgotten that I, I used to be well known in this space because we've been taken over by so much esports now, so many stars, so many events and incredible things happening. Um, you know, it's nice to go back and think about how this all started where, uh, when it was me uh, doing my own little thing, I guess, compared to what's happening now. Does it feel weird um, when, you know, someone like me says, you know, describes you as a, as a legend? Does it feel like a long time ago, all of that? I, I suppose it, it didn't feel legendary at the time. It just felt like we were doing something we loved. Um, and yeah, there were people interested and, and we got lots of news coverage, but um, it, it didn't feel like it was world class, I suppose. I'm not sure what the word is, but we were just doing our own thing and loving it. It, it wasn't for other people at the time. It was for us because we, we had this community of people who love video games and who were, who were so interested in new techniques and who was the best and ha what will happen when this person competes with that and who's going to win in a competition. Um, but yeah, things have come along a long, uh, uh, a long they've come along <laughs> a long way. Uh, and yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's a whole new world now. So let's go back to that old world um let's not say old let's say a time a time past um and this was a time uh for for eurogamer watchers viewers readers listeners however you're viewing this uh for people who don't know uh eurogamer was founded in 1999 uh, a stellar year because a video game called quake 3 came out that year um but Eurogamer grew out of the Quake community. Rupert Lohman um, and the Lohman family, but but Rupert in particular um, was a Quake player. He was particularly into Quake 2. Uh, Sue Joy's sitting there like, mm, no. typical. 
Not my favourite game, I gotta say. Oh. It, there's, there were there were factions even back then, but there was a time when there was just one game everybody played, which was Quake. And then they had to ruin it by making Quake 2. I, <laughs> I never transitioned. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's normal now. We all have our own favorite games, whether it's League of Legends or Dota, or if it's Counter-Strike or Call of Duty. It's quite normal now. But back then I was like, oh my God, please. No, it's software. Don't, don't like create, break up the scene by having another game. You've got a perfect game here. It, it wasn't that era of games just iterating like, league of legends does now or like dota does now with a new patch they they had to release a new game to make money i guess that we didn't have microtransactions back then so so when i was um for for people who don't know as well i'm the same age as rupert i went to school with rupert so i watched Eurogamer created um i watched it come into a thing and then later on i forced rupert to give me a job and now no one can get rid of me uh which is why i'm still here um but back then, um, I was aware of LAN parties. I went to a few LAN parties myself. I helped Rupert organize, well, not organize, but I helped carry some tables around, let's say. Um, and in that time, there was this, there were some professional games. There were some good, some friends of ours were really good gamers, uh, Quake players. Uh, but there was one name uh, above them all, this, you know, Sujoy Roy. I remember a magazine article from way back then i think it was like a picture of your desk and it was like it, it was quite messy or something and i remember thinking like how can someone even move the mouse um on that i might have dreamt that that might not even be real no that was that was a real thing okay a bit, a bit of context there um I, I was obviously, uh, I'll say obviously, I was a well-known gamer because I was one of the first people who took it very seriously. I, uh, to the detriment of everything else in my life, I decided, no, video gaming is the thing I want to be great at. It wasn't, and I was, I was at university studying physics at Cambridge, right? So it was quite a big leap to say, no, actually, I want to spend my time becoming incredible at Quake, not just incredible, the Let best. Me let me i'm going to jump in there because this is a good time to go back so let's let's rewind before professional gamer before quake comes along or anything like that let's go um sue joy the boy um what where does gaming come into your life um at what, at, at what point does it well maybe come on to that where does gaming come into your life uh well i was always a gamer because I've always been competitive and uh, in my life the thing that I could be most competitive at was video games we'd have these parties at my well my parents would have parties when I was young and all the kids my age would come over and we'd have street fighter competitions someone would bring us SNES and and, and we'd, we'd play whatever games that were there but we didn't play single player games now it was always hmm. you know multiplayer like winner stays on um so street fighter was one of them and my favorite was was bomberman because bomberman was so pure it was it was a case that the game was very simple but you could do incredible things in it you you could with a bit of skill you could just you know outwit everybody and and you know nobody could get close to you and i, I love that feeling of being so great at at this game that nobody could come close to me and i've always had this competitive flair that, and and it, it 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 sort of followed me around and 
And it was when I went to university, when the internet suddenly became a thing and it wasn't just the people in your room you could play, it was anybody in the world. That That's when that blew my mind. It was a case of, look, now I don't just have to try and beat people in the room. I have to beat everyone in the world. That That totally blew my mind. And I think that was the point when I decided, yeah, I want to become the best in the world at this. <laughs> so like you say, um, you went to university and you were a, a good student, uh, to put it mildly. Um, you, you went to Cambridge, um, uh, which is where the very clever people go. I went there recently um, and there were lots of very well-to-do people walking around a gorgeous, uh, the gorgeous city, uh, which I'm, you're probably bored of. You're like, oh, it's just, it's just Cambridge. Um, and you've gone there to study physics and your parents are like, great. You know, our our son is well on his way. You know, to to becoming rich and rich and famous. Maybe not famous, but rich. Um, and you've got a computer in your in your room, your halls, I suppose. Um, but you're not working on your computer. Um, you've downloaded this new game uh, that is maybe the f- well, it's not the first multiplayer shooter, but as far as I'm aware, it's the first multiplayer shooter with free look uh, kind of map. Um, aim and it just blows up what what was that like what happened talk us through the moment you were introduced to quake and and what you were thinking when it when it when it came along so i i guess the revolutionary thing was first of all it was fully 3d and i just the first thing i did was i'd get two computers in the lab side by side and just like walk around the other player and be like <laughs> oh my god we're in a 3d world and um and i think something in my mind is very good at that spatial awareness where i can look at a 3d view and and just understand how everything works um which which was something new at the time we didn't have fps game so much uh, doom was the only thing and it wasn't quite 3d um but it wasn't just that it, it was the case that you could connect to anybody in the world that, that i i wasn't a pc person actually growing up so ah. that that was new to me it was absolutely new to me and yeah i was i was a great student i i mean i've got indian parents they they immigrated to this country and you know they they instilled in me you've got to do well work hard get a good job um go do the things you need to do um but in a way i kind of completed that mission (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like that goal was sort of ticked off go to a great university i had a a job lined up with jp morgan it was already offered to me the bank right that's that's quite a prestigious place so so you know when 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 you're playing a game and you've got the mission ticked off it's like well let me do some side quests then and and my side quest was to well there's so many people playing this game and why aren't I number one at this? Uh, that's kind of where it, where it stemmed from. I, I just found an opportunity to do something else and become world-class at it. And so if you hadn't picked, um, if you hadn't played on PCs before, I imagine I'm looking down at my, my mouse here. People can't see that, but I imagine that whole, because for some people, mouse aiming is weird, right? They, they don't get, and was that weird for you or did you take to it like a, a duck to water? Oh no, it was weird at first. I, I played Doom on keyboard I, and I, yeah. I do actually st- know some people who, who at the time of Quake even still played on keyboard and were brilliant, but I played one person and he destroyed me so much so that I was just determined I'm going to relearn everything from scratch. Um, and, and it's, it's that mentality in video games where you want to find the little margins, the little percentage gains. Um, 
Uh, and and for me, that was like, okay, I can do better. So so this, you know, I, I started from scratch again, learning learning mouse from scratch. And it's the same, you know, in any game where you change your change your controlling. Like in, in Dota, I used to, you know, when you scroll by moving to the edge, uh, what's it called? Side scrolling. But yeah. that's not the best way to do it. No, you want to you wanna click and drag. So, and, and it's a completely new way of controlling. For me, yeah, I, I just decided, look, I'm going to be better at the end of it. So I don't mind getting worse for a little bit. So Quake comes along, um, you start playing, and how intensely do you start playing this game? What, as you start getting pulled into the world of competitive Quake, I guess, how many hours are you spending at this point? What, what does it look like in your routine? <laughs> I got to say, it was, it, it's kind of embarrassing. I can't even imagine it now, but I would play every hour I could. So I'd have a few lectures in the daytime, you know, start at 9am, uh, do do your your physics lecture, your maths lecture, come back and think, oh, it's still midday, let me start playing. And I would just keep going. They, like, I, I wouldn't get tired. I'd have so much adrenaline flowing for all, every game. I would continue playing through the day, past dinner, through the night, until it was the time for my next lecture and I hadn't wow. slept at all. I, I, I mean, this is one reason why I don't try to be so, uh, I don't try to be so competitive anymore because I know there are people out there like that who, who just don't mind putting in the hours. You can't compete against someone like that anymore. <laughs> I Maybe mean, you it, could. Maybe you could, Sujoy. You've still got it maybe in your, in your DNA. I, I don't know, but life kind of gets in the way, right? You actually have to pay, you have to get a job and pay for things. Well, I suppose unless you're a, you're a professional gamer now when it kind of makes sense. But even then, um, you know, the, the, if you've got that, the aptitude and the desire, uh, that hunger to be great, you can put in hours beyond everything. I think it's the same as a, you know, someone who's who's a sportsman and just continues practicing on and on and on and can do incredible, magical things in their game. It's the same in video games. And I got to that stage where I could do magical things that would blow people away. I, you know, and and that that drove me. It was the case of being so good, you would amaze people with what you could do in the game. Did uh, you amaze people? I think I did at the time. Yeah, I used to. I used to record. It used to be demos back then. We didn't have video recording, but I, I would record demos of of just incredible movement around the map, or just shots that were one in a million. But you because could Quake had again and again. Quake had a um, the movement in Quake could get quite almost crazy. You could really almost fly around the, the level, couldn't you, if you knew how? Yeah, this is something you don't see so much in games now. Games are pretty rooted in realism now, rather than the insanity of, of a lot of old-style FPS games where you'd run at a million miles an hour. And Quake was one of those games that, that hadn't locked down its physics. They'd, they'd built an engine to make a 3D world, um, but there were bugs in it. And so you'd start off with, um, you remember in Doom, you could just strafe run, which, which walking in a diagonal line made you go faster by, because you're going in two directions at once and they never fixed it. <laughs> um, and, and that was the, the basic one, but it, it got, as, as people like me played the game, <laughs> just continued playing, continued finding exploits again and again. First of all, it was, um, first strafe running, then you could wall strafe run, and then it was, um, 
you jiggle run if you straight left and right <laughs> you go slightly faster but it, it makes a difference you know when you when when a game comes down to the tiniest margin being there a fraction of a second earlier makes all the difference um but it went on and on because quake had air control so um unlike i mean counter-strike sort of has it you can do little bunny hops but the games they don't allow you to do that now but quake was completely unlocked you could uh, be flying one direction in the air and make a 90 degree turn or even a 180 degree turn and take the same momentum going back. And if you combine that with methods to go a little bit faster, that meant you could keep increasing your speed. So in Quake, you could bunny hop and keep increasing your speed without limit. So that meant pretty soon, if you were great at the game, you could be flying through a, a level at the speed of a rocket or faster than a rocket. So imagine someone's trying to fire a rocket at you, but you're going faster than the rocket. How do you hit that person? It was absolute madness, but it, I, I just, I mean, people are still playing today, but I remember games back then where, it, you know, you'd, you'd be like a flicker on the screen uh, and people would be trying to predict where you were going to go. It, it was absolute madness, but it, what it did is un unlock the potential for, for what's the limit of human ability to control a character in a game. And, and you know, it, it, it was brilliant. It still is. There are people playing Quake 1 today who, who can do all this stuff. And if you take a look, it'll blow your mind. I hear that... Um... John Romero still quite regularly plays uh, Quake One in a kind of multiplayer scene. Did you ever? Did you ever meet him? Did you ever play him? Uh, I played John Romero. Actually, the first time I played him was I discovered an exploit in Quake, <laughs> which, and I decided to join the ID server where they would hang out. Back then, you could play the creators quite often because they're all mad for the game, just like us. But I discovered that um, there was a there was a sequence of respawns. So when you die in Quake, you respawn somewhere but they had a fixed sequence of where you would be in the map. And if you could move fast enough, like I could, you could be there as they returned to the map with a rocket to the face. So what I did to the id software employees is I, I would play them on a map where I knew I could get to the next spawn point. They would respawn, I would shoot them, they would die. And then I'll go to the next point, they would respawn, I would shoot them, they would die. And they patched the game the very next day after that, which was interesting. <laughs> but I saw I saw um, John Romero again, he, he's an um, absolute genius, by the way. I, I Nothing but respect for the man. He's, he's made incredible games throughout his life and he still does. Um, I met him at a BAFTA award and this was the funny thing. He did remember me. And the first thing he did was he challenged me to a death match because you don't lose this edge. Actually, you don't lose this desire to play and compete. Uh, he yeah. invited me to Ireland. I, I don't know if I'd go because I, he'd probably embarrass me now and bet he plays more than me. Um, we'll see. But... Maybe we can make this match up happen. This legendary <laughs> showdown. Um, so as you're playing and like clearly from what you're describing you're picking up serious skill with this game do you get a sense at this time for where you are in the world or at least you know the quake community um for playing this game how how well you match up with every everyone else well yeah you um you can imagine back then there wasn't you know millions of players there was tens of thousands maybe uh, I, I don't know. It's actually, I've, I've never measured it, but we all knew each other. We knew the best players. It, it, you know, you'd, you'd get uh, gossip about who's <laughs> good and who's who you should play. And uh, everyone's got their champions. We, we, we had our uh, favorites, you know, in the UK and there'd be the German 
brilliant players and the Americans would all fancy themselves. So you would <laughs> end up you would end up playing the best in other countries. And it was a case of, of a showdown to prove who's best in these siloed communities. So so yeah, I did have an idea. Eventually they introduced rankings into Quake World. Okay. And that that really that that was the trigger for me to play nonstop actually. Because then so I how did you see the rating was based on, it, it's like a league system. So you get points for winning or points for kills or points for, how did it work? Well, it, it wasn't what you would set up today because it was based in free-for-all maps, actually. You'd play deathmatch with okay. 20 or 30 people in a game. Uh, and it was an ELO rating. So if you shot someone who was low skilled, you'd get a few points. If you killed someone that was high skill, you'd get more points. Uh, but if you were high skill and you died, you would lose a hell of a lot of points. So it, it's that kind of system. And so I developed a way of playing where I would only get kills and never die. And I would, I would play the most conservative in poker. It'd be playing tight, right? Where, where yeah. you don't want to ever lose. I'd play the most conservative game where I would hoover up every bit of, uh, every bit of resource on the map, the armor, the rocket launcher and so on, and just play so defensively. Anyone who came near me, they were dead. And, and like, I would, I would never be in danger because I knew if I died once, I would have to kill like 200 people to get that the points back to, to get that but yeah i i figured out a way to play and i i got to number one on the quake world rankings which i was very proud of at the time that that was the equivalent of a world championship because there was no such thing at the time how did you how did you celebrate uh, if at all when you when you reached that well, it's not like it was now. I wouldn't talk about video games in the real world ever. Right. It, so uh, uh, at Cambridge, were, were there other people playing Quake or, or were you sort of on the on the down low, just kind of? I, I suppose I was sort of on the down low. I would just be unpopular for taking up computers in the labs and things like that at the time. Um, it, it, there, there were a few others that I discovered, but really I would never talk about video games. It was a weird thing that it was my underground life with my underground community of people that I knew online, but I would never meet in person. It was not until much later that, that we had events like LAN parties and get, get togethers where you'd actually meet them. Um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, I, I honestly, I, 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 it was a secret life I had of being the best in the world at a game. And, and I couldn't talk about it except online. <laughs> wow. And how did you, how did you balance that with real life? Because you are a student at the, at the time uh, studying um, and also you have a family probably watching over your shoulder uh, to see how you're doing. So how, would, how did your schooling go once Quake took hold? What happened? It, it didn't go well, I've got to say. <laughs> so um, I, 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 I'm, I've sort of got that nature where I work and work at something until I get it right. And with exams, my whole life up to university, I figured how to reverse engineer exams and understand what it was they were looking for and therefore get almost 100% in all of my exams. You must exams. tell me how to do that after this call. We don't <laughs> want everyone to know. So. <laughs> well, but, but the thing is, though, it takes work. And, and not everyone wants to spend hours and hours 
acing an exam that that's the thing like literally your whole day trying to do that because it's it, I don't know it doesn't always feel rewarding maybe but in my first year at university I, I got a first and I remember getting a hundred percent in one of my exams and just baffling people about how that was possible because I, I had that nature that sort of spirit to just keep going but then when it switched over to video games my my grades really did slip and being um bleary-eyed and having no sleep going to lectures probably didn't help so I slipped from a first and I think I got a first in my first year two one in the second year and a two two in my third year so um you could see it slipping I I got lots of disapproving uh comments from my supervisors and my parents did you ever fall asleep in a lecture <laughs> absolutely yeah uh, <laughs> definitely copying notes off people to to catch up um did yeah, people, but, did people there ask you? Did your tutors ask you? They say, "Hey, Sutra, what, what's going on?" Yes. And, and what did you say? Ah, oh, mm. I I don't know. I I did enough work to be okay, but not to be exceptional. The thing is, though, I I decided at the time I was studying physics, and I think coming into university, I thought, let, let me do something incredible with physics. That's my calling. I'll um you know solve uh, cold fusion and and we'll we'll fix the world's energy problems. That that was what I was thinking going in, but then coming out of university, it was like, look, I want to be a great gamer actually. Ah, so we c we can blame id software for you not solving <laughs> cold fusion. Is that is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, but, you know, people are delusional. Kids are stupid. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, you know, you don't know this stuff. Like everybody has different motivations in life. Um, and, you know, you get burnt out of whatever, whatever it is you're doing. I'm sure it would yeah. have been burnt out on physics at some point. Um, but I just had a desire to be world class at something. And it, and it turned from physics to, to video games. <laughs> so um, you mentioned that you... Um after Cambridge you go on to get uh, a job at JP Morgan uh, so evidently it didn't hamper your your chances uh, too much um, and so this is JP Morgan in in New York yes I, I was working on Wall Street uh, so wow. der derivatives desk JP Morgan are the biggest trader of derivatives did you have a very world. fancy suit yes <laughs> I got the whole monogram shirts all custom tailor fit and uh, beautiful pinstripes and white collars and uh, all of that stuff did the whole thing um i gotta say though i didn't really think it was me um so i did it because that was the thing that was expected i'd done all the work to get there but not long into that job i decided it wasn't for me and what what happened was i was working in new york at the time and I'd, I'd lived in the UK up to that point and we hadn't had big events. You know, we, we'd had land parties, as you, as you said, you know, it was, it was a bunch of kids bringing their computers into a old school hall and, and sleeping under tables and, and eating crisps. And, and I remember unhealth. it being quite smelly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Definitely not enough showers, too much um, junk food. Uh, but this was me in New York where the USA obviously are always a bit bigger and grander with everything they do. And they'd run, their land parties were different. Their land parties had massive stages and announcers and big prize money for the competition. And when I discovered uh, a competition, a prize competition in New York for Quake 3, I suddenly thought, hey, this is my opportunity. I want to do it. This was the first time there was any 
real decent prize money for a tournament. And I thought, look, I've got to do it. It was $10,000, okay. which doesn't sound like a lot, right? But that mm. was incredible. I was like, what can I do with $10,000 just in my pocket? Because of course I'm going to win it. <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 um, I managed to find some local people in New York to bring their computers around to my uh, JP Morgan um, expat uh suite that i'd been given would set up a bunch of computers in the room and just play all night again so i went back to those days of just playing non-stop to, to get back into shape for this competition so was there was there a, a scene um in new york of, of quake people did you how did you meet them or did you sort of tentatively say uh, because you i don't remember you featuring in quake 2 i remember quake 1 and then obviously quake 3 being your thing but did you just not fancy Quake Two? I I didn't like the game. No, it was um it was too constricting because Quake Two didn't let you move in the air. So I'm not saying Quake Two was unskillful. There was incredible things you could do with the movement in Quake Two, with the double jumping and the, the bunny hopping speed you could get was absolutely insane. Uh, and that was the introduction of the railgun, the one shot. I love the railgun so much. Yeah, that was introduced in Quake Two. I oh, know I hated it because me, uh -oh. I was a brawler. I don't want to be sniping in the distance, having these little peak shots. Nah, that kind of, that's, that's the kind of like low down scummy kind of gameplay <laughs> I don't approve of. No, I want to, I want to charge in at a million miles an hour, all guns blazing like these. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was my style. So um, Quake 2 didn't suit me, but Quake, through, so, Quake 3 sort of had elements of both. It kind of, of blended. Games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Didn't quite have the movement of Quake 1, but it, it was the game everyone was playing. It was that time again when everyone played the same game. Yeah. Everyone, well, there, there was Unreal as well. Let's not talk yeah. about Unreal Tournament. I mean, yeah. it's a brilliant game, actually. But, but Quake 3 was the game. And so I was, it was back to that point where I thought, look, I could be world class again. And this is big. There's there's money to be made now, uh, and there were sponsors at these events. There were um, these companies bringing their their peripherals. There were people bringing energy drinks and there were gaming chairs all sorts of speakers and screens <laughs> it was like it, it was just like a, a big fun fair for game lovers like me i thought yeah i want to do this i want to become great again i did have to pick it up though because i'd stopped playing somewhat did it take university um yes but i had a long time because i spent every hour doing it all through the night um so yeah yeah it took a while to get back into it but it was a great opportunity i, I didn't regret it at all what did your JP Morgan uh, colleagues, bosses think about you <laughs> closed in a suite playing? They're like, what? What's Sujoy doing in there? <laughs> yeah, they were bemused. Uh, more so when I quit the job and said I'm going to become a professional video gamer. What did cause... they say to that? <laughs> I, don't, well, I don't understand. I, I don't understand Sujoy. Pretty much. It, it was just just bafflement of why why would you want to do this? I, I mean, but the thing is, though, when you're working at a bank, you're not really doing anything real. It's it's all moving numbers around. And it's just it's just a bit of abstract stuff to make money. Whereas video gaming was something I could get my teeth into, something I understood, something I, I, I could be driven to do and want to work all hours of the day, whereas making money didn't feel like the thing I wanted to do yeah but it, it felt like an opportunity um you know you talked about the the media coverage I had before particularly the one with the messy desk by the way they they messed up my desk <laughs> those guys that was PC zone back in the day 
they came in and thought this is not very interesting and they they went out shopping bought loads of junk food oh, opened wow. all the wrappers and put it on my desk i mean i'm not saying my desk is all that tidy but but still but the point was it was a novelty back then to become to be a, a great video gamer and you know they they couched it in all of that language of of messy desk and um you know not not getting enough sleep and all of that stuff but here was an opportunity to just be known not for being mad about video games uh, sort of delir- just just uh doing stupid things to play video games but here was an opportunity to be known as a great gamer that could beat everyone from around the world and be celebrated for that skill so that that was the change that made me want to be a pro gamer did you did you win that tournament I actually didn't win that tournament. Sorry, uh, you, you bring, I, I've got some uh, <laughs> bad memories of that. Uh, who won? Tra- traumatic. Um, there's a guy called Wombat. But they had a weird system of double elimination back then that if you lost one round, you could only come third. And I accidentally uh, lost a round. Accidentally. Um, <sighs> it's a long story. I, I kind of don't want to go back into it. it, it we had <laughs> Too um, painful. I, well, I had like a, a three-point lead. The clock was ticking out and the crowd were behind the American, obviously. And there was one point where I thought, I know a spot where I could just hide and it will never find me. And I thought, let me just sit there for a minute. I'll be fine. <laughs> and, uh, probably shouldn't have done it because I, I would have won eventually, I think. But because I did that, and I would have been fine, except every time he walked past me, the crowd would start cheering and be like, ah. no, he's there, he's there. We didn't have the separation or booths and stuff like that. So he, he sort of walked past me and he's like, and the crowd was saying, no, go back, go back. And he'd walk past me again. And he'd walk past me again until he find me. <laughs> it was a bit sneaky. I probably shouldn't have done that. That was a, that was a silly thing to do. But because I lost that game, I could only come third. Um, that was a bit of nerves getting to me, I've got to say. Back, back then it was, it was very nerve. I mean, I'm sure it's more nerve wracking now. But the thing about professional gaming is it doesn't always come down to skill. It comes down to who can hold their nerve. Mm. And that's something I, I, I learned when I became a professional gamer. Did you, was there pressure on you when you went back? I mean, you, you'd, you'd not been playing Quake, but I imagine the Quake 1 community was still going, so you weren't playing Quake 2. But when you came back as Sujoy, was there, was there pressure? Did people expect? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I thing is though i'd i'd been well known cuz i'd been outspoken i'd been very active online i'd i'd post recordings i'd i'd write blogs i'd talk about it all the time and and with the coverage i had in the media people had heard of me so mm. i'd be the one to take down as well so i'd be a big there'd be a massive target on my back um yeah there there was pressure um but it was also a different kind of atmosphere because now it wasn't just about playing and being the best it became a career a business which is how does how how does that happen how do you go from there's a tournament here to i am a professional gamer how does that step happen uh well first of all you quit your job (laughs) this job you'd worked your whole life to get you say so you quit your job you quit your job first i quit my job at jp morgan but at the time um after this event in new york because i was more flamboyant, more outgoing and willing to speak to the media. I'd uh, spoken to lots of sponsors at this event. As I mentioned, peripheral makers and on all sorts of people around the, the video gaming scene that wanted to get into this sort of vibrant event where 
people are doing crazy things. So, so first of all, I spoke to Razor and they offered me a sponsorship deal pretty much there and then saying, look, wow. you can be an ambassador for us as you go around playing games. Um, knowing that uh, I was very serious about it and I could do a good job in terms of representing their brand and trying to talk about it to the to the wider media at the time. So yeah, I had some sponsorship deals lined up and actually before I quit my job, I had enough lined up that I was making about four times what I was at the bank, which which is it, it became a no-brainer and you know for, for how my... much come on you I can't let you get away without saying how much yeah. <laughs> well well with my with my sponsorship deals I was making a quarter of a million dollars a year in, in just in 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 sponsorship that's which... amazing this is back in 1999 that's like five million pounds in today's money <laughs> maybe I, not I quite that much but <laughs> but this this was also in in a very strange time in the world where uh internet advertising and you know the dot-com bubble was was blowing up before it burst by the way uh everyone was very fixated on getting traffic online about about transferring from magazines to to digital media um and so another thing i did was i treated it like a business so i built a portal for esports at the time called excess reality at the time and that's how I got the deal because I generated not just myself as an ambassador, but also a place to talk about all these things for other people who loved esports to come and get involved and be part of the conversation. And that became a platform to then show off these brands. So it wasn't just a, hey, I'm great at games, give me money. I, I had grown up a bit. I'd learned from business, okay. from school. And, and I'd built it into a package that I could deliver to sponsors so so in that respect i think i was i was head and shoulders above any other gamer because i had a complete package to promote a sponsor and that's why i managed to get get that money together what did your parents say well i mean they couldn't say that much because i'd done the job so so my parents you'd call them say t tiger parents right very very <laughs> invested in their children and, and it's all about yeah do, do your best but I'd, I'd done the studying, I'd got the degree, uh, uh, you know, best one of the best universities in the world. I got the job that I was supposed to get. So when, once you've ticked all those things off, right, main, main quest done, right? Go on to the side <laughs> quests again. As I say, like they, they kind of said, okay, you've done the thing we wanted you to do. Go on then, you do what you want to do now. And knowing that I had, this is the thing I tell people when they ask me, I want to be a pro gamer, what should I do? I, I always feel like you still want options <laughs> and I had options because I'd had my education and I had some experience in business. Um, so, so yeah, they were okay with it because I, I kind of had that package. I wasn't just running off and saying, forget studying, forget work. I'm going to be a pro gamer. I swear it's going to work. Um, so, so I was kind of responsible in that fact. Sorry. It's not that exciting. It was, no, it's not well. this like risk everything to become a pro gamer. I'm too, um, sensible for that unfortunately no no that's that's absolutely fine so pro gamer is a a new term um i'm presuming you weren't the first pro gamer in the world mm, not in the world no i mean but also it's 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 hard to define there were definitely there, there were people playing space invaders back in tournaments now does does that make them pro gamers i'm not sure maybe there were def maybe sponsorship is the thing i'm Perhaps there were sponsored players. Um, there were definitely uh, lots of people in the fighting game scene who'd been around from course, that era. Yeah. 
but I I think I was one of the first people that built a career out of it. I'd say, okay. and, and I mean, you know, you could be a student and do it. Does that count? I'm not sure. But I I quit a job to become a professional gamer, and I think I was one of the first in the world to do that. Um, but at the time, there were people like, uh, say, Fatality, who absolutely brilliant, by the way. Um, but he didn't get the same money as me because I was more established and I had the package behind me to, to sponsor. So at the time when we had our deal with Razor, I remember being very chuffed that I had more money than him coming from Razor. <laughs> Although he, I got, I got to say he, he was better than me <laughs> at the games for sure. You heard it here first fatality. <laughs> Sue Joy admits. Uh, well, so, he, the, the thing is, Fatality was one of those guys who would put in all hours of the day where I was trying to build a, a business as well behind it. So what does your professional uh, routine look like? What What are your responsibilities uh, for Razor, for, for the other people? What does, I don't know, a week look like, a, a month look like? Well, see, the funny thing about when, when I became a pro gamer, I found I had very little time to play anymore. Ah. And I suppose I'd, I'd focus very much on the media coverage and, and it was nonstop media coverage because um, I'd, I'd get one article out. Uh, I'd be featured in a news story and it would snowball. I'd, I'd get a, I'd get 10 calls after that uh, asking me to do something else, whether it was um, appearance in on, on TV or if it was a radio interview, magazine, newspaper, and each of those would spawn like another five more. And, and pretty soon, my entire schedule was packed doing interviews with, with media. Um, and I kind of had to do it because that was part of the value I was delivering to my sponsors. So in a way, my gaming suffered by me becoming professional because now <laughs> I had to get the coverage out for my sponsors. I just remember waking up at 3 a.m. to go to Big Breakfast House just to do a, you know, a 10 minute piece with Johnny Vaughan to, to, because it, I needed to do it for coverage. But hey, when am I going to play games anymore? <laughs> I remember I, I watched this because there's um, I think there's a clip on your website um, and he's talking to you and you're you're playing Quake on a, a Quake 3 on on a monitor in the side. Are you actually playing at that part? Are you are you? Oh, no, I wasn't. I For some reason, right, I, I was petrified, by the way. This was my very first time on TV. And you've you got to remember, like, this, this is not an era of YouTube or Twitch where you broadcast yourself. I wasn't used to being shown like that, where it's live and unedited. So I was petrified. So what I did was I, I just put some bots on and I just followed the bot and pretended I was playing. It was much easier to do. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I think... Because I was so scared, I, I could have done so much better and, and challenged him a bit more. Because this this was still in an era where video gaming wasn't considered a real thing to do. So so they'd they'd very much be taking the piss, and I'd get this in every interview where where they'd sort of stop by saying, "Oh, by the way, have you got a girlfriend as well?" Though, um, sort of just really snide comments coming mm. out and i i learned to defend myself but i wish i could do it then because um what was your answer when 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 someone said that <laughs> uh well i didn't have one so it was tricky but um uh, yeah i can't i can't remember I, I, yeah i i don't know i I'd, I'd be able to defend myself eventually uh and uh and the thing is though i, I could talk endlessly about the the benefits of what i was doing and, and about how 
there was massive communities of people and you'd make so many friends and online friends are real people just just you might not see them all the time but for me i did i traveled the world and i met them i i've got friends from every country well so many countries around the world and i do this now i i travel around the world and visit them and it's it's amazing i still have this network um yeah i i i don't feel insecure about playing games and that that's the thing i i think going into it originally you always felt like we're doing something wrong mm. it's like there's something wrong with us because we play video games instead <laughs> of doing what everyone else does but now it's obviously not like that and and yeah when you don't feel insecure you can defend yourself and 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 just talk about the amazing things in your section of the world it, it, the people who play your game the people you've met the relationships you've built and um and and eventually the businesses you've built now there's so much going on around video games it's a, it's a thriving community obviously what was it like meeting the people that you'd been playing against um and, and probably had i don't know how you sort of fix on them in your mind's eye do you see an avatar do you see but what was it like meeting them and what was it like what was your impression of what the quake community kind of thought of you because i imagine when someone kind of steps up as a front person of the community you know as the sort of flashy um you know pro gamer yes you're doing the whole scene a service by promoting it i suppose but at the same time they might be begrudging you because they're like hey, who's this guy to speak for speak for us yeah i mean they, they, i'm sure there, there was plenty of people that hated me because i'd take a lot of limelight and i i don't i, I mean i used to be very cocky actually i used to be much more cocky than i am now i mean that's just the nature of, of playing these games i think you get a bit cocky but uh i made some enemies uh I think meeting people in real life, though, it, first of all, it was weird to see them in real life. Uh, we, we had Quake skins back in the day. So everyone had their own sort of outfit, their uniform, and meeting them in real life was very odd. But I don't know, the people were the people. We'd, we'd spend a long time in games just, just chatting. It was a chat room half the time, mm. not, not a place to compete, but a, just a place to talk to people. I'd spend hours just uh, on a map not moving and just chatting to people in, in a server rather than playing the game. Um, so these were real friends and, and real, real relationships I'd built up through the game. Um, and yeah, and it continues today. I, I still talk to these people. I still... Um, have great friendships uh with so many people back from the quake days it, you'd be shocked because they're, they're still around everywhere in every part of esports particularly you'll find uh people who who i i played quake with in in every level of of these companies so so we have this quake network of such where you you've always got an old friend like like it's basically like a family, a second family that. you've got everywhere you go, whether it's Gamescon in Germany or or uh, TI finals in in Vancouver or, or whatever it is. There's always there's always part of your extended family around. So how does how does Quake Three and the kind of professional gaming? How long do you do that for? Actually, before we do that, do you have a favourite hmm. memory from your time as a as a professional uh, Quake Three player? Hmm. Interesting. It's such a long time ago now. I mean, I, I think I, 
because the thing is though my, my skills went down like as, as i say i was doing a lot of business and a lot of interviews and so i went from you know winning competitions to sort of coming down to top 16 and things like that um i think what it was was when when we started broadcasting live because we never did that at the events it, they'd have a, an audio stream and they'd have recordings out but we didn't have youtube we didn't have live streaming mm. but when we started broadcasting this stuff i think i i just remember just shocking people with with certain talents i'd picked up like um so the old lightning gun you can lock on to someone and just it'd be impossible to get get out of that and i, I think a few times i remember dj wheat who's um who's still around he, he does uh does a lot of stuff with Twitch and he was just going crazy in the background. I remember playing this one game and I could hear him and I could see him over there. I was like, yeah, let, let me do something shocking now. And it was on, it was on the live, live stream and it was on the big screen. And I just remember everyone cheering. It's like, it's just memories like that. There, there are lots of them where you just get the crowd going crazy for you. And so how does how does quake 3 kind of wind down for you what happens what why do you kind of step away from it um yeah what's that exit i suppose well i i think i mentioned it was before the dot com bubble burst <laughs> and, then, <laughs> yeah. and then the bubble burst so so there was there was a time where well, esports always goes in waves. There was the first wave of just interest of people who were really loved the game and wanted to play. And that's when you had the LAN parties and all lots of people meeting up for the first time. And that was sort of the first wave. And then the second wave was this new money coming in of, of people making new peripherals and new websites for gaming. Uh, Thresh was getting popular in the US and um, he run, what's it, gamers.com and... Uh, and there was a lot of money back then. And so tournaments were building up to a million dollar prize fund uh, at the time. It was just this massive. It looked like we were never going to stop. Video games is going to be king of everything. But then the dot-com bubble burst and all of the sponsors, the advertisers, those people who were funding these events disappeared. And that's when that's when I thought, look, better better stop now because there's no money coming in. All of my sponsors had, had, had gone bust and were unable to pay. Uh, so how long were you professional for? How long did you play Quake Three professionally for? It, it wasn't even, it wasn't very long. It was probably just about two years, um, okay. which felt like a long time. But um, yeah, not long at all in the, in the scheme of things. Uh, but I mean, it cemented my sort of desire to be in esports, and you know, I've been doing esports stuff ever since because. You know, I realise there's there's an audience out there. There's people who love it as much as me, and and there's a and since I do as well, why why don't I stay in this? I can be a pioneer in uh, in this field. What did you do then after Quake Three comes to a, a sort of professional close for you? What was what did Sujoy do next? Well, before before the bills bankrupted me, I did come back to the UK because I'd been living in Sweden and then in LA, following the events, following the tournaments, and the the ability to to build websites and get advertising but i came back to the uk and i thought look got to take it back to basics now the money's gone in the big events and they they pretty much ended at that stage uh the funding from from these sponsors had dried up i thought let's let's start again and i wanted to build uh the the infrastructure for esports so what what i did was i worked with a partner in the uk to build live venues around the uk and these were gaming centers okay. like internet cafes 
not always the best quality in the world, but I really felt like we need to start on the ground. We need to, to get people playing in towns and then playing between the towns before you get national teams and then start competing internationally. You need that structure um, of people playing because the internet still wasn't that great at the time, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so, so live venues was where I, I moved to. And I eventually that built up to Gamerbase, which I did in what, 2007? Okay. And that was this high spec game center, which I built in Piccadilly Circus in the Trocadero. Uh, this was, I took space from HMV to build what, what I wanted was this place to celebrate video games, your, your own Wembley stadium of video games, where you come and you play in a tournament, you meet like-minded people, or you just come and watch others play. Um, so it's like yeah. a really fancy gaming cafe. But without the cafe part, exactly. With all the okay. neon lights and the <laughs> okay. like, intro, all computers were were up on stands with their with their LEDs blazing, um, and a million screens, lots of big screens everywhere. That sounds so, expensive. It was expensive, yes, but it was popular. We we were busy all the time, and you'd have uh, elements from every type of gaming there. We'd have the fighting gaming scene come down, gather around the TV and have their, their, their events there. We'd have Counter-Strike, we'd have Quake, we'd have Unreal, we'd have, yeah, we, we'd, we'd have just so much gaming going on. It, it was just the most wonderful thing, um, to have this central point to meet, uh, for, for your, for your gaming community. So how long does that run for? Uh, Gamer Base, yeah, we, we, Built it in 2007. HMV acquired the company actually the next year. Okay. And from that point, I, I grew it to 100 venues around the UK. Wow. So, again, this is all very pre Twitch era. So, it's kind of strange. It probably didn't get that much coverage. Um, it's but if if you had it today, it would be brilliant because that that could be your hub. There'd be little studios for for live streaming. You would you would create hubs of of activity for new games. But that that's what we did. We we worked with games publishers. We'd have new launches there, which would be free to play. Uh, and then all evening we'd have events and tournaments and competitions where you you prove your skill. Um, but that continued up until the point, unfortunately, HMB went into liquidation of in twenty thirteen, yeah. and um, the liquidator didn't see the value in it which is a shame because i think like the very next year uh game tried to do the same thing with beyond and there's there's always been an effort now for live venues and i think there's still this massive desire you know the high street's kind of pointless right now do you really want to go to the high street and buy a, a boxed game it's not what it's for yeah whereas whereas building a venue to play and to experience and to show off games that's valuable. That that's something you would you would travel for. That's something you would go and meet your friends and be a destination. And and there's more and more need for that. I, I think we're going to see more and more venues for gaming very soon. I hope so because, like you say, um, you know the danger is that even a chain like Game might disappear from the high street. And then what do you have? Where do you find games on the high street? You know, where do you see them? But um, but do you want to buy games on the high street? I I think it's a unfortunately it's a dying breed. Um, it's going to be all digital in the end because it's more convenient. It's like, do you really want to buy CDs anymore? No, you don't. Uh, games are going to go the same way. Uh, I guess so, it's just the second hand market that. Yeah, uh, and the point is, we, while we can do this, and, and 
you know, in this pandemic, we've been doing video conferencing for everything, working from home. But I'm sure everyone's feeling the same as me, that there's something missing in that, fine, you can do your meetings online. But in the end, you do want to be around with, with people, with, with social animals. Um, and gaming is all about showing off at the end of the day. You want the reaction. But, but it is. It's like, I, I, how many times growing up was I was I either playing with someone watching me or me watching someone playing and cheering them on and, and being uh, just just amazed by something that had happened. It's always about showing off at the end of the day. And to show off, you need people around you. So Gamer Base Clothes, um, you've sold at this point our HMV Clothes. Um, presumably, you do quite well out of that uh, as well, by the sounds of it. Um, and then are you still are you still playing games at this point? I, I, I'm so, it's difficult for me to play, actually. That's the funny thing. I, I'd like to play a lot of games, but I know I'd be frustrated with myself for not being great at them. Ah. So I've been avoiding FPS games. The, the only time I play is I play Counter-Strike in our work league where I am now. Okay. Uh, because I have to, but you know what? They're not that good, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only play Clash Royale now. That's my biggest game. I play Clash Royale religiously on my phone. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hardly play anymore. It's a bit of a shame, really, because I've, I've got all the gear. You know, people keep sending me mice and keyboards and mouse pads, but so, I, I don't put them to good use. <laughs> so it's this feeling maybe that you had a, a high level of skill in something and that you can't easily or maybe at all you know reach that and so you don't that puts you off that kind of overwhelms you before you begin yeah i think i've been i've been spoiled it's 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 ruined me now because now whenever i play a video game i always want to be the best and i'm so annoyed if i lose uh and that that does two things first of all if i lose I, i'm devastated i'm like what did i do? to practice now let me stay up all night and work out what happened and the second thing is i am the worst person to play a game with because i take it so seriously um so so yeah it's like let's have a fun game i say to my friends and while i'm destroying them at this game it's not fun for them that's for sure um yeah it's very hard to just enjoy a casual game now which is why i think i avoid fps um but FPS you games <laughs> but you play dota by your own uh mission which is not that casual yeah i i've played less of it recently it's it's one of those things that uh will will eat up all of your time it's one of those games you can constantly get better at um but yeah i played it for years and years that there was there was just the vibrant community of in-house leagues that i i love to play on um and yeah and i i still love dota that's probably the game I follow most now. So, so I constantly watch all, all the big events and I go to TIs. I'll, I'll probably go to this one upcoming, which I'm very excited about. It got postponed because of the pandemic last year, but it'll be in uh, Bucharest coming up soon. Um, and yeah, that that's where I, I get my kicks, I guess, because uh, I'd never had the big stadium events when I was playing. I didn't have the tens or hundreds of thousands of cheering crowd. I didn't have the millions of people watching online. So now I'm, I go to a Dota event and I'm in the crowd and they're all cheering and it, it just feels so great to be there. It, like, I feel a part of it. I, I feel like I've got something in common with, with this whole audience. So 
So yeah, that that's my insight into esports now. Well, my my door into esports. I I still go to these events. I watch watch them online, and I I follow all my favorite teams. Is there ever a a kind of pang of I don't know if it's regret, but that feeling that you were born in the wrong era and that that could be you. You know, you talked about your urge to show off and everybody's urge to show off, and you know. The TI events are massive. You know, you see the like the halo of screens around the kind of main stage. <laughs> Do you ever watch the watch the teams there, and you're like, oh man. I wish of course I do. Of course. So, so you look at someone. Uh, so for Dota, the the team that won the last two was Team OG. You look at No Tail, Johan. He's like he's just he's an absolute superstar, right? A megastar. He he's whatever. He's won millions and millions of dollars of prize money. Everyone knows who he is. There's documentaries made about him. He's got fans all around the world. Um, and yeah, and if it was my era, it could have been me, I guess. But I, I, I take some solace. Okay, it's not the end of the world. I take some solace because I feel like what I was doing 20 years ago was the precursor to this. It's, it's what triggered a lot of this happening. And I feel like, okay, it sounds, sounds a bit grandiose of me, <laughs> maybe blowing my own trumpet a bit, but I feel like I helped build some of that structure because at the time there wasn't an idea of being a pro gamer and going and shouting to the world about it. I was one of the first people that would sit with news anchors and try and explain to them why gaming was brilliant. I saw I, one of these interviews, by the way, one of your, <laughs> I think it was like a BBC breakfast interview. And the, and the moment you turn around uh, to this female anchor and say, um, I, I, yeah, I'm a professional gamer. It's like her eyes. She's like, what you get paid for gaming and like her eyes pop out of her head. And, uh, it just made me chuckle. Yeah, well, and and that's the thing is I I feel like I I try I did my part. I don't know how effective I was, but I was trying to break down those barriers to say, yes, it's okay to be a gamer. Yes, it's okay to to you know not be a professional footballer and decide to put your time into something else that you love. Um, and and building some of the structure like building a website that was devoted just to esports and and say and and having that ability to promote what it is you're doing and to celebrate the greatest gamers to, to make to normalize that fact that it's you know while while we celebrate um ronaldo as a footballer we also want to celebrate the skills of a video gamer who's who have, i would say just as dedicated put in just as much time and effort and when you understand the game, you see the magic, you see the, the incredible skill that's been applied, the timing, the teamwork. Uh, and, and, you know, we had to make some steps to go from this is someone wasting their time to this is just an amazing talent and millions of people appreciating the skill involved. So I, I like to think I had a hand in it. That's all. Maybe, maybe I'm blowing my own trumpet too much, though. I'm not sure. Do you ever try and tell anyone at those events? Now, listen, you, listen, listen, this is what I did for you guys. I, I actually, here's the funny thing is I, I've <laughs> That's been. That's a yes. <laughs> well, it, it's sort of, but I don't have to say it. I, I think they get it. When I, when I tell people, yeah, I was a pro gamer back in 2000, you know, 20 years ago, they get it. They know it wasn't easy back then. Mm. It, it was a different era and you know, they're, they're following on from things that have happened in the past. So I, I, I'm always really sort of pleasantly surprised by how I'm received at events by people who 
probably never met me before. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt that sort of all my Quake friends are the CEOs of, of these companies and will give me AAA passes to everything. So I'm backstage in the green room having a chat. But um, but also there there are people still in the scene like, um, like commentators who who were there in my era, who are now big commentators now um, and team captains and team owners, uh, you know, Jason Lake from Complexity. And there's people from every team. They come from my era. So, so, you know, everyone knows who I am. So, so I'm, I've given respect that that's maybe I don't know if it's worthy or not, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I do. Okay. I, I love coming to these events because um, I get to hang out with, with gamers again and feel like, <laughs> try and feel that that energy and adrenaline of about to be going on stage for, for some incredible competition where everything's at stake. Do you miss it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All the time. It, it, I, I watch, um, watch these events and I'm trying to picture how these players are feeling. They, they're doing the walk on and, and you can, it, it's, there's so much pressure involved, but there's so much adrenaline and there's, and, and picking up a trophy and winning is just the best feeling in the world because you put so much time and effort into winning it. Um, yeah, I definitely, I miss it. What do you do now, Sujoy? What, what keeps you, what keeps you busy at the moment? Um, so I've switched to uh, something interesting. It's, it's video game gambling, esports gambling. Ah, shock horror. That's the well, scary yeah, word. I, I, it's, it's, it's a dirty word because there's so much unregulated gambling and we've had, we've had these controversies with uh, CSGO skin gambling sites, but these are unregulated sites. What I do is um, I, I've noticed that esports gambling is a thing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen whether or not we, we push it. Uh, the the big gambling sites are going to come into this because it's a way to make money off off esports and there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to happen. So I I my my view is the best way to make this right is to help with a good gambling site. So I work with a site that has a UK license, which is the strictest license in the world, and and we do all our market very marketing very considerate considerately so so it's about responsible gambling it's about safer gambling mm. uh, and it's about marketing correctly not to children it's about sending the right message um so I, I i feel like since gambling is a necessary evil you might as well do it right and and help the the good companies do it and say if you're um well well you'll push out the bad ones but also there is a problem in esports and i've seen this when I've been working on events, it's very hard to monetize sometimes because most of the audience expect to watch it for free. You don't mm. expect to pay to watch it on Twitch. You, you expect to see the highlights on, on YouTube, for example. Uh, and gambling is just one of these methods to, to actually monetize the viewing of esports. In And if it's done well, if it's a case of, look, I'm going to put a few pounds on this game and it makes it more exciting, I'm okay with that. I'm obviously not okay with problem gambling and, hmm. and these out of control stuff. There's stuff going on on Twitch right now with people doing crazy slot stuff, which I don't approve of, but we're in the UK. We understand gambling's a thing and it can make the game more exciting to watch. So, so in, in, uh, in, if you do it carefully and responsibly, it can be okay. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting topic, uh, for sure. And 
yeah, maybe there's maybe there's a positive uh, to come. It's a whole big discussion, so I don't. But it is a necessary of... evil. That's the thing. Uh, it's it's you're not going to be able to stop it either. As much as say Riot does not allow gambling uh, within their infrastructure of League of Legends, but gambling exists for League of Legends because mm. it's going to happen. Yeah. So, listen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for um, you know all the time you've been chatting to me. It's been ages. Thank you to anyone who's still listening. Of course, you're still listening. Um, I just wanted to end with a couple of kind of silly questions I want to ask everyone uh, in this series. Um, so I'm going to ask you three questions. Um, and the first one is your first game. What was your first game? If I say to you, first game, what comes to your head? I I, I think it was a, is a game I... I literally typed in on a Commodore 64 from a magazine. Um, I can't remember what it was called. It's called Bizarre or something, but it was a trading game. And I literally typed it in from a magazine, uh, spent like six hours typing it in and played it nonstop. Um, I can't remember the name of it, though. Sorry. I hope someone knows. I don't know the name, but maybe someone <laughs> listening knows. Okay. And the next one is Last Game. The last game I played, I just had a game of Clash Royale before this call. <laughs> okay, did you win? Uh, oh, yeah, I've got a toxic deck. It's horrible. It's <laughs> rage. If you play Clash, you'll be like, oh, my God, so you don't play that. But it works. Okay. I, I, I just love it for the BM because people get so upset. <laughs> I'm toxic in that game. <laughs> what you're saying to me is that you're a toxic troll. I think that's what I'm picking up here. Yeah, but it doesn't matter in a mobile game. There's no chat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the the last question is best game. And you can take that any way you like. Best game? Um, I think for me, I think Quake 1. I, I go back to Quake 1. And there was so much freedom and ability to do anything. And the world was your oyster. There, there was no limit to what you could achieve, uh, whether it was inside the game uh, whether it was making friends or eventually making a name for yourself as a pro gamer. So so for me, that game encompassed the whole thing for me, the whole reason why I'm, I still love video games. Fantastic. Sue Joy, thank you so much. Uh, again, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you. Um, and to everyone who's listened and watched this, thank you very much. You've been listening or watching the Eurogamer podcast. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a, another fascinating interview for you. Please join us then. Goodbye.